Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Wednesday. Hope all of you are well. It is time to relax, get over the hump, and have a few martinis, the good, the bad, the crazy. I'm Chad Benson in for uh, Mr. Greg Corumbus. He'll be back next week. As always, Jim Garrity is here and. Uh, Jim, where shall we start? Uh, let's start with the good, and uh, there's some polls out there that seem to say, hey, momentum's going in a certain way, and the evidence is starting to become clearer and clearer. Yeah, this is, you know, a red wave. There was a, you know, the you know after the overturning of Roe versus Wade, there was a bit more galvanization on the Democratic side. I think this got fr- Democrats who are frustrated with Biden and the state of the country came home. But that's still not going to help you that much amongst independents. And this morning, Politico has a new poll out they conducted with Morning Consult. And in their characterization, quote, shows the national political landscape shifting more firmly towards the Republican Party. The report continues, 20 days out from Election Day, voters are overwhelmingly focused on the economy and inflation. Republicans are trusted to handle those issues more than Democrats. And crime beats out abortion as a second tier issue. In our poll, as in others, the GOP has also gained on the congressional ballot test. I guess if you're a Democrat and you're looking for a silver lining, they still have Democrats ahead by one in the generic ballot. Um, Now, based on historical patterns, if you're a Democrat and you want to keep control of the House of Representatives, you want that to be Democrats by three or four points, not just by one points. But I, I just think the issue environment is shaping up pretty much the way Republicans would want them to. Um, you, you would expect uh, economy and inflation to be at the top of the list. 81% said the economy would pay, play a major role in their vote, their vote choice. 80% said, infl- said the same thing for inflation. You go down a bit, crime coming in second is where I think this really becomes bad news for Democrats. That 64% said that was a major issue. Abortion was up there, uh, but it was a third, and I think, actually, I guess technically a fourth if you count inflation and economy separately. Uh, and that one's at 59%. 57% said gun policy, which is probably a little surprising and probably good news for Democrats, although maybe that's gun owners who are worried about efforts about gun control. And interestingly, considering how it uh, was such a big issue for Donald Trump and, and we've had all the issues we've seen at the border, immigration is there. It's in the top five or six, but it's at 55%. Um, but just overall, you know, Republicans have a 46 to 39 percent advantage on the economy. 61 uh, percent of voters think the economy is getting worse. People think inflation is getting worse. Just just about all of it points to a big year for Republicans. And then separately, Politico has their kind of projections of how they you know classify each race between a lean Democrat, a solid Democrat, likely Democrat, you know, toss up, et cetera. They updated 12 races and 10 of them were in a more Republican direction. So the data is piling up and pointing towards a, you know, uh, red wave and perhaps even a red tsunami, so to speak, in November. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And again, if you're the Republicans and you stay on message, which the lane you choose should be the economy, because every human being that is upright and walking, that isn't living in the streets because of mental illness or drug addiction is in some way, shape, or form participating in the economy. And we're still a country that is, uh, you know, checkbook voters, if you will. Yeah, again, you know, <clears throat> my guess is probably not every single congressional district is going to be equally focused on crime. 
If crime is going up in your community, you're going to be paying attention to that. Inflation, just about coast to coast, just, just about every corner of the country, you're going to feel, you're going to see higher prices, you're going to be paying higher prices. You might see a big difference in, say, gas prices. Uh, I did notice that it's still right around the record prices in California. It's come down in a bunch of states. Most of those states are in the South and Midwest. Um, but I think all in all, like, you know, again, this, this is one of those issues that you every day you go out and buy something, you're reconfronted with this. And I think it increases your irritation with the, the party that's in charge of government. Uh, I'm Chad Benson in for uh, Greg Karamas, and uh, he'll be back next week. It is our three martini lunch day. Uh, Jim Garrity, as always, is here. So we have the good. Let's move to the bad. And uh, it's a very interesting article, uh, Gerard Baker in the uh, Wall Street Journal, about essentially, look, uh, you know, the president's power is, and what that person at the top of the ticket is doing, maybe, you know, just basically slapped aside by everybody. But does that mean that that person's going to stop doing what they've been doing. Yeah, there's been this kind of strange mystery at the heart of the Biden presidency. You could argue he won the Democratic primary in 2020 because he wasn't Bernie Sanders and he won the 2020 general election because he wasn't Donald Trump. And when people voted for him, this very known quantity and this guy who I don't think you necessarily can characterize as a moderate or as a centrist, but as a guy who was always where the center of the Democratic Party was. Well, you know, in office, he's governed pretty darn far for the left. Uh, certainly folks who thought they were getting the most moderate version of the Democratic Party are underwhelmed with what they've got. Now, if you ask AOC and the squad, they would say, no, they haven't gotten everything they've wanted. But by and large, you look at everything from uh, the bailout for student loans to all of the spending bills to uh you know a whole bunch of of social policy issues biden has been pretty far to the left and i that's not necessarily what people thought they were getting in 2020. i think this is a big reason why democrats are going to do so badly in the midterms and i what's kind of odd the, what what gerard B baker puts his finger on is that we're used to this traditional pattern president gets elected and then the midterms go badly for his party and with the exception of 2002 and you can probably say 1998 with the highly unusual circumstances of uh uh the impeachment and and the Lewinsky scandal by and large the midterm is you know not just a loss for the president's party usually it's a pretty bad it's a drubbing a thumping as George W Bush put it in uh 2006 you can look at 94 uh you can look at 2006 you can look at 2010 you can look at 2014 you can look at 2018 yeah Republicans gained seats in the Senate that year but they also lost the house lost a bunch of governor's races by and large Democrats had a good good midterm cycle and I think you can argue Barack Obama did not change dramatically uh, after the 2010 midterms or the 2014 midterms and Donald Trump was pretty much the same guy he was after the 2018 midterms he was just fighting a lot more with Democrats now that they controlled the house so you know this is not the, the history suggests that when a Republican has when a president has a lousy midterm, that's the electorate saying, we're not happy with what you're doing. Go back to the center. What were you thinking? And the presidents don't always aren't always re receptive to that message. They find ways to you know, convince themselves. No, no, I'm doing fine. It's the electorate that's wrong. Uh, Obama managed to get reelected. Trump did not. But I, I kind of have this feeling that Biden, uh, even if he has a bad midterm, I'm not sure he's going to suddenly recorrect, you know, change course and go steer back towards the center. I certainly hope he does. And if he has any hopes of winning re-election in 2024, I think he certainly needs to do that. But 
it is kind of, you know, it's an unfortunate and I think probably likely prescient observation by Gerard Baker that these midterms that are big shellackings of the party in power don't always get the president in power to change course and to rethink things and to adjust it. Now, you're probably going to see some shifts to the, uh, the the cabinet. You're probably going to see some changes, but I don't think you'll be seeing a completely different Joe Biden after the midterms. And I kind of think that's the message the public is trying to send to him right now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember the contract with America and it seemed to be, that's why I always thought, you know, one of the most astute politicians you will ever see uh, ever was Bill Clinton, where he's like, oh, man, America's spoken, so they don't like this. So I'll move over here a little bit and we'll just get on with our lives. Yeah, I mean, whatever else you think of Dick Morris and like the, the persona he became in years after that, um, you know, Clinton was sure to sign welfare reform. Uh, he basically gave Bob Dole no easy uh, targets and no easy issues to hit him on in the 1996 reelection campaign. But Bill Clinton is probably the, your your best example of a president who gets, you know, thrashed in the midterms, realizes, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to get reelected to this rate and changes course. And that's kind of what would serve Joe Biden very well. I guess time will tell whether Biden will uh, heed the message from the electorate. But considering how he's campaigning these days, I don't think there's much sign that he's uh, interested in in the message he's they're trying to send. Three Martini Lunch. I'm Chad Benson here for Greg Columbus. We've gave you the good, the bad, and now the crazy and uh, we could explain it to it, but don't think it best, Jim, that I just play the full question and answer from Miss Stacey Abrams. Is this correct? Probably the best thing to do. Yep. Yeah. Roll it all. I just asked you, you're running for governor of Georgia. Uh, I would assume, maybe incorrectly, but while abortion is an issue, it nowhere reaches the level of interest of voters in terms of the cost of gas food, bread, milk, things like that. What can a governor, what could you do as governor to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters about those livability, daily, hourly issues that they're confronted with? But let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't Divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. And so these are, it's important for us to have both and conversations. We don't have the luxury of reducing it or separating them out. But we also have to talk about what a governor can do. A governor can address housing prices. A governor can address the cost of education. A governor can put money into the pockets of everyday hardworking Georgians instead of giving tax cuts to the wealthy. That's what I talk about on the trail, and that's what's resonating. But let's not pretend that women, half the population, especially those of childbearing age, they understand that having a child is absolutely an economic issue. It is only politicians who see it as simply another cultural conversation. It is a real biological and economic imperative conversation that women need to have. Well, there you go. Let's let's have the real conversation. Uh, so uh, work everything in uh, that you can about abortion, including with inflation. Uh, and maybe this is the way it's going to go from now on. Yeah, <laughs> this is Mike Barnacle asking the question on Morning Joe. Uh, probably, you know, on paper, about as friendly a venue as she can expect as a candidate. And, the you know, the barnacle question is, yeah, okay, abortion's important, but, uh, you know, let's talk about inflation. And she steers the answer right back to abortion. And I don't think, you know, well, you know, the reason prices are so high is because, you know, you have so many kids that, that, that really strikes me as a, 
um, a, a clumsy answer, a, a tone deaf answer, a, a, you know, what you talk about abortion when you don't have that much good to say on the issues of gas prices, milk prices, bread prices, grocery prices, all that kind of stuff. And I think one of the things Democrats have been confronting all cycle is this idea that is this question about is Stacey Abrams as good a candidate as they thought she was? Now, to her credit, she can't, you know, Republic, Georgia is a pretty darn Republican state. Democrats have not done well in statewide races until 2020. Now, she came close in 2018. She came within about 50,000 votes. Now, that, may, that seems like a lot, but that's closer than most Democrats have come. Now, as most listeners know, she rather famously insisted she had not lost the race and that somehow the election had been stolen or that votes had been deleted and a whole bunch of things that became quite, you know, we, we, we heard in a, you know, uh, similar context from Donald Trump in 2020. The irony is that during this time, Georgia became not such a red state and Joe Biden won the state narrowly. And in the runoffs, Ossoff and Warnock won those Senate races. Again, narrowly, but you know, in the right set of circumstances, Georgia can be a purple state or a light blue state. The thing is, 2022 is not ideal circumstances. President's approval rating is down. Economy, uh, inflation is very high. You know, President's party usually does very bad in the midterms. All these things are working against her. And most of the polling has Brian Kemp up by a decent margin. Um, interestingly, as the Senate race is pretty uh, pretty close, so a couple of Warnock's had a small lead in most of the recent polling, but below that 50% threshold, possibly going to a runoff. So you go back to that image of her in the first grade classroom, not wearing a mask, with all the kids around her wearing a mask, all kinds of moments where, I, I, it's no doubt, Stacey Abrams knows how to wow a magazine, you know, Vanity Fair or Vogue or other magazine editor in New York. The question is, can she appeal to a majority of voters in the state of Georgia, which is still a pretty culturally conservative place? And I think so far the answer is no. And I don't think answers like this help any. And I'm really kind of bizarre to see them believe the Democrats utterly convinced if we emphasize abortion enough, we're going to win in this this environment. No, you're not. And I guess in some ways you could say all of our martinis kind of tie together today, Chad. Yeah, they absolutely do. Uh, it's very interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how she fares out. And, uh, you know, as well as in a state where you've got somebody who is really not a great candidate, Herschel Walker, but uh, is, you know, starting to move in a direction uh, where it looks like he might really win this thing. And I think it shows you, as Bill Maher talked about last uh, week, uh, you may have some crazies out there, but guess what? Uh, the people aren't buying the Democrats crazy right now, and they better figure it out. Yeah, and also let's keep in mind, as I mentioned, that that race could very well go to a runoff. If it comes, I, I actually be curious about whether the other Senate races are all resolved by then. And if the Republicans are going to control the Senate, then I think obviously the stakes will be much lower. I think maybe that'll be an advantage to Warnock. I don't know. If it comes down to, the, if control of the Senate comes down to that, if you know Democrats have uh, 50 or Democrats have 49, and if Warnock gets reelected, that's the 50th vote. It'd be a 50-50 split and Harris would keep, you know, uh, breaking the ties. In that kind of a circumstance, actually, I think Walker's got a much better chance. I, I think the attitude of, of every Georgia Republican is going to be, we got to get every last vote in this. We cannot have another two years of Democrats controlling the Senate. And I think that works in his advantage. Uh, it makes the race less about Walker and what you think of him and his past scandals, incidents, accusations, things like that, and much more, which party do you want to control the Senate? Um, and I think that'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we will see, but I think that's a pretty likely scenario. But uh, 
I guess only time will tell, Chad. Absolutely. As always, great to be on the show today. We gave you good, your bad, and your crazy. The Three Martini Lunch. Uh, I'm Chad Benson. Follow me at Chad Benson Show. And uh, Jim, people want to get a hold of you and your amazing writings. How do they do it? Uh, as usual, at National Review, um, both in the corner and the Morning Jolt newsletter and on Twitter, I am at Jim Garrity. Boom. Fun show today. Do it again tomorrow. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. This week on the Federalist Radio Hour. So it's sort of a self-defeating idea, a sort of New Deal society um, and a, a society that is built with a much more robust government that concentrates power in the hands of technocrats is not one that will be friendly. I'm Emily Jashinsky of The Federalist. Subscribe to The Federalist on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.